Well, good morning. Let's begin in Romans, Romans chapter 12. We are thinking through our relationships with one another and the kind of guidelines that are given to us to, to help us relate. Uh, life happens at breakneck pace. You encounter all kinds of people in the course of the week, many of them believers, many of them not. And the Bible is not silent about how we should be relating to people. Now, our study has been primarily uh, regarding our relationships with Christians, uh, but certainly we can be thinking uh, as we look at these references about all the relationships that shape our weekly schedule. Last time we began transitioning to the positive references, the things we should do toward one another. And we began in John 13, looking at Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then instructing them that they should follow his example and do likewise to each other. And we wrestled with the interpretive clues there that he wasn't implying simply that they should wash each other's feet, though that would certainly be included in their culture. He was saying that his washing of their feet was an exemplary act of meeting the needs of others, serving others. And we find joy, Jesus said, when we serve others. So that falls under that same umbrella then. John 13 tells us that Jesus did that because he loved his disciples. Knowing that he loved them, he loved them to the end, it says, he rose from supper and then washed their feet. So love is still that overarching principle, uh, the new command that Jesus gives us, and all these one another's are expressions of that love, which in the Bible is always demonstrative love. So we're looking at Romans 12. Romans 12 is a transition chapter, uh, 11 chapters unfolding the doctrines of justification and explanation of the gospel. Chapter 11 concludes uh, with that uh, word of benediction, that praise. And then chapter 12 transitions into the instruction on how we should live in light of the doctrine that we've just heard. It's a familiar pattern in the letters that come to the churches, uh, the doctrine, and then uh, the the practice. Romans 12 then, uh, as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, as we're rejecting conformity to the world, but instead renewing our minds, using our gifts is the next paragraph. Beginning in verse 9, come all kinds of admonitions then, commands that govern, uh, that steer our gift exercising and our life sacrificing. Uh, And as we get to verse 10, we come across one of these one another instructions. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I want to give you a heads up so you can try to think of uh, some examples. As we look at some of these New Testament one another's, I want to see if we can think of biblical illustrations or examples somewhere in Old or New Testament of the one another 
uh, example that we're looking at. So as you think of loving one another with brotherly affection and outdoing one another and showing honor, uh, see if anything comes to mind, and we'll share those in just a moment. It's interesting, verse linguistically, uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Both words for love are the word we have in our language of Philadelphia, uh, the philos and Delphia. So philos is love and Adelphos is brothers. And so brotherly love or brotherly affection. Uh, so literally it's, it's with brotherly love toward one another. Love as brothers. Um, seems like you could have said one or the other, and yet they're both there because it's, it's driving it home that in your relationships with one another, there should be this familial acceptance and love. Um, it's, it's not, you know, the romance of wooing, you know, your college sweetheart or something. It's, it's different than that. It's this kind of born and raised together, and you're in the same family, and it's it just that love that connects. And so Paul is telling the Roman believers to love each other in a brotherly way with a brotherly kind of love. Then he goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo uh, is our primary kind of verb essence there. It has this idea of of weighing out uh, the, the value of something. We don't usually weigh value. Uh, we measure in different ways now because we're not, we don't go to the store and, you know, pay for sacks of flour or rice based on scales with preset weights and all. Uh, but this idea of esteeming or weighing something highly, putting a lot of value on it, uh, that's what we're commanded to do here, to show honor, uh, show that you value others. Uh, figure out what is the value of that person and then esteem it as such. Uh, this is a, a challenge for us, and it flows from the first part of the verse, this, this love that we're supposed to have for each other. If we love, then we will see that value. We will choose to recognize who this person is in the image of God, who this person is in the body of the church, who this person is as God's gift to me because whatever gifts they have from the paragraph before, Romans 12, 3 to 8, uh, are for the common good. So I should be receiving God's grace from them. This relationship is God's idea. So what is their value? Shapes our understanding of politeness and manners. You know, some Parents are better than others at teaching their kids to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and please, and thank you, uh, to be mindful of the older folks among us, to stand up when a woman enters the room. Those things aren't going to be found in a chapter and verse in the Bible, um, but they came out of a in kind of an, an ethic that is biblically based, that you recognize the value in others, and by principle, you could go to Proverbs and elsewhere and the esteem for those with the gray hair uh, and the elderly. So out of that came this idea of, okay, if the Bible puts honor there for children to parents 
or the young to the old, uh, or uh, the men to the women, then what would that look like? And then we come across these passages, and it gives us a, a little bit of a handle, show their value. Um, you know, in our day and age, you never know if you're going to get in trouble or get thanked if you hold the door for a woman, right, coming behind you. Uh, Maybe you've been in that situation where some people are thankful and others kind of look at you like, what in the world are you doing? Uh, How dare you? Like, chivalry has become, like, disgusting, you know, demeaning. Well, uh, I think biblically we have grounds to recognize if that word honor is used in our relationships, then let's, let's work hard at this. Let's try to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, let's, let's maybe revive some of those ideas of politeness and manners. And, you know, let's start kicking our kids in the shin when they, you know, don't say yes, sir, or please, or thank you to grandma and grandpa and others. Like, come on now, we, we can do better than this. Uh, and it's not just because manners are important and you should be polite. It's because the Bible has instructed us to value others to show that value, to outdo each other in showing honor to each other. Uh, So the next time you come across manners and, you know, at the table or in conversation, recognize there's a biblical foundation for this, and it's tucked away in a couple of these one another's that speak of value and honor. Uh, Can you think of any Bible examples of brotherly love, and or showing value and honor to someone. What do you think, Roy? I don't know if this fits, but it came to my mind that Joshua and Moses' relationship, where Joshua kind of functioned as Moses' manservant. <coughs> and I may be mixed up, but I think it was, he was referred to as the one that poured water over Moses' hands. He aided him even in hand-washing. And yet, when there was a battle, he was sent out to lead the army, so he was a a man of importance and weight. He was one of the 12 spies. He was, he was well-respected, but he chose to serve in a very menial capacity to Moses. Okay. What else? Brotherly love or showing honor to someone? Really good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. We know that story well. Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi. Okay. Any others? David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan's a good one. Even uses that brotherly love, kind of spotlights it by saying, uh, what does it say there? Somebody help me. um, Their love for each other, like, had its own uniqueness, even different from the love of women or something. It, It was like, it was separating, you know, the romantic kind of love from, from this, Deep brotherly connection. Um, so that, that's a good example. What about valuing others? The Good Samaritan kind of hits that one a little bit. Yeah, Ward? Despite his problems, Joab valued David greatly. Yeah, there's a lot of those relationships in the Old Testament. In this case, Joab and David. Uh, there are probably times where Joab disregarded David's commands, but there, there are other times there's this deep, loyalty and connection there that was probably forged in the battlefields and David and his band of 
misfits, you know, that's a pretty close-knit group of, you know, they stuck together, uh, those kind of ideas. Um, I thought of the story in John 12 where Mary or Martha, I don't even remember which one now, it's probably Mary, uh, breaks the flask and anoints Jesus' feet and uh, Judas is indignant. He can't believe she wasted this. It could have been used to feed the poor. And Jesus says, basically, you know, you're in the wrong here uh, because she is anointing me for burial. She's recognizing the value of the work of, of Jesus. Um, so think on that text this week. Uh, not only brotherly love, but outdoing one another and showing honor. What, what might that look like for you as husband and wife um, to outdo one another and showing honor? What might that look like in the workplace, though others may not be competing with you uh, to outdo anybody? What if there's going to be, on your part, an insistence to honor people even when maybe they do a lousy job? Uh, but in honoring them, you're going to call them to something better. Or maybe their worldviews are just literally despicable. They're, they're ungodly. They are anti-Christ. And yet you're going to honor them as a person uh, and, and not, not package them with all their, you know, evil thoughts and ideas. Uh, let's work hard at seeing the value in others uh, and then honoring them uh, for what God has made them to be. Yeah. Um, I think of a couple of examples of a brotherly love, one very ancient, one very present. Um, our four sons are adults now, and uh, all different lifestyles. And so when I read that verse, it's really applicable this weekend. They all took a trip together um, to California to watch golf and basketball and just be together. And his parents have really neat four adult sons just wanted to hang out together. So that kind of really stuck out when I read that verse today. Right. And, uh, but a Bible example to me is uh, Joseph and his brothers. We just read that story recently, you know, reading through. And it's amazing, at the end of the story, how much love and affection and honor was still there after all they had been through. I mean, it, that story really brings out yeah, so Mark's given a personal example of four sons uh, that he has that all did a long road trip together and though with different walks of life and ideas, just a, a brotherly kind of bond. Uh, some of you probably can think of, you know, the relationships you have. And then referencing the, the story of Joseph. Uh, if you're reading through the Bible... You know, a lot of us have probably come through Genesis and had that conversation about Joseph. And, you know, when his brothers come to Egypt and they don't know him, there's multiple parts of that story where Joseph is kind of playing this facade a little bit and not letting them know, but he's being moved by this brotherly connection uh, and wanting to relate to them. And then, of course, ultimately he does. Uh, so that brotherly love. Uh, you know, my parents grew up in Philadelphia, and of course, that's a city known for its brotherly love, right? Uh, the name fits so well. Uh, 
Look down a few more verses. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, this is an interesting verse because three times in this verse, we, we have this word for wisdom or mind, either in a noun or a verb form. Uh, live in harmony is, is one of the, the verbs about having your mind set on something. Don't be haughty is the same word um, for having a certain kind of mind, but it has the word high with it. So we have same-mindedness, then we have high-mindedness, and then we have um, the word wise, never be wise in your own sight, which is another expression of the mind in a right form, which is wisdom. Uh, So in the Greek, they're all the same root, and yet with packaging around each of those words, we realize it's kind of a full admonition. Have the same mind kind of with and toward others, The contrast is, don't elevate your mind. Don't be high-minded. You're supposed to be same-minded. So be same-minded, not high-minded. And in so doing, um, make sure that in in your mind, you're not elevating yourself higher than uh, you should. Uh, Paul would warn the Corinthians about this too, not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. This doesn't mean we should think, low or lowly of ourselves, uh, it's not really saying, you know, you're nothing. It's just saying the the tendency of our hearts is to elevate self above everyone else, to take care of me and not others, to think I'm right and they're wrong, to think my way is the good way and their way is clearly not up to par with mine. Uh, Live in harmony with one another. It's translated a lot of ways. Harmony fits because the word same is there, same-mindedness. And so harmony. Um, We might think unity would be a good word, and it could be with explanation, but harmony helps us understand it doesn't have to be the exact same pitch, so to speak, Um, but it, it recognizes the direction is the same, and we're in this together. Even though we might not exactly have the exact same thought, we're all moving the same direction, and that's why harmony is such a nice word to hear, you know, to hear the note on the piano E, and then go up a couple and play a C or something. Um, okay, go up a few more. Some of you were looking at me like, that's more than a couple. Okay, go down a couple, right? (laughs) Um, Harmony, be at harmony, the same mind. So we could be like-minded here this morning and yet apply our like-mindedness differently in the way we parent our kids or the the way we govern our entertainment choices or uh, the way we take vacations. Like we could have a lot of things that... We're not exactly the same, but we would say we're like-minded. Uh, and, and you do this with believers that you know around the city, around the country, people you grew up with, your friends with, on Facebook, and you could say in a lot of ways we're like-minded. And yet 
you know there's all kinds of differences. Um, that's what the text is getting at here with the same mind or living in harmony with one another. It's not everybody do the same, have the same thoughts in your mind about how to dress to go to church, uh, have the same thoughts in your mind about how to spend money and what's most important. No, it's just saying uh, on the essentials of understanding our pilgrimage and our Christian faith, we're like-minded. And so don't be haughty, don't be high-minded thinking you're above everyone else, but instead associate with the lowly. Uh, What are some examples maybe of not being high-minded but associating with the lowly or living in harmony, either one? Any Bible examples come to mind? Yeah, Daniel? Being offered to Ibis, it was an opportunity. It, it does talk about a stronger brother and a weaker brother in that. Um, and how the stronger should not despise the weaker, and the weaker should not despise the stronger. And, but there is a stronger and uh, weaker brother in that passage. Yeah, the comparative terms are there, stronger and weaker, and it makes us stop and think, okay, does that mean strong's able to plow through and have their weight? No, it means... You can bear a little more weight of understanding how to help others. Um, and so that, that goes along with a lot of those passages we've looked at about do not judge one another and such because it's, it's not don't be discerning. Remember, that's not what the Bible means by not judging. It's, it's addressing this spirit, this, uh, this inflated kind of pride that starts thinking, I know better. And how dare they not be as good as me? It's a, it's a forgetfulness of grace. Uh, what else? To, yeah, Jonathan? Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, say that one more time. Jesus with tax collectors and sinners. Yes. Uh, you can go to Mark and Luke and probably a couple other accounts where Jesus is even defending himself and saying, you know, listen, John the Baptist came not eating and drinking, and you thought he was crazy, then the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you're saying he's a friend of sinners, and he's eating and drinking with them. Um, and yet Jesus' words there, I think, had, a, had an extra meaning. He wasn't just saying, this is your accusation. He's saying, you're actually right. I am come to be a friend of sinners, um, to associate with the lowly. And Philippians 2 fleshes that out theologically for us. Uh, Roy? Um, we give Job's friends a hard time. And for all their error, they went to sit with somebody that they thought had committed a grievous sin, and they were willing to just sit there, take of their time, and be with him. Other things they did weren't so exemplary. I'm not sure we would have been wise enough to discern the differences like they were. So So at least a charitable nod to Job's friends for meeting with him as he's scraping his wounds and such. Uh, A pretty pathetic state. What else? Can you think of any other condescensions? Um, I think you could also talk about Nicodemus coming to Jesus would be another one. Because if you watch the pathway of Nicodemus, he, he goes from meeting with Jesus at night, um, kind of learning what a new birth looks like, and then um, later on is actually staunchly defending Jesus uh, with the other um, uh, 
people of power at the time. Um, I think uh, Apollos would, uh, Aquila and Priscilla would be the other one, uh, where Apollos just didn't understand some things and uh, they took the time to make sure that he was understanding more fully. And it seems to be receptive to it, not haughty and, you know, who, who are you to tell me? Uh, another name in the Old Testament we're not as familiar with, Onesimus, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, and he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So Paul's in prison, and yet here's someone who's willing to condescend to go and be with the one who's on house arrest or worse. Um, and Paul's praying this blessing on him for being willing uh, to associate with the lowly. Thought of David and Mephibosheth, descendant of Saul, crippled as, you know, he was being carried by his nurse as a little tyke and uh, legs are crippled. Well, Saul's house is being killed off and David obviously shows this kindness to Mephibosheth, um, lame but also part of the family of his enemy. Uh, And of course, Back to Jonathan's point and, and just referencing, ultimately, we see this most clearly in the gospel, that God demonstrated his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Philippians 2 says that that was a condescension, uh, knowing he was equal with God and yet taking on himself the form of a servant uh, in order to be obedient to the death of the cross. So, Philippians 2, uh, and then the story of the Gospels showing us how Jesus humbled himself to draw near to us because we could not draw near to him. Uh, And so this this drawing near, associating with the lowly, is in essence our imitation of what we've experienced in Christ. If we've tasted Christ, Christ humbling himself to come to us, then we should be the kind of people that humble ourselves and and aren't afraid to go to others. Um, I don't know where I just saw this. Oh, I think I was, I don't remember. I watch documentaries when I'm tinkering with unimportant paperwork, and, and I was just seeing something recently. It may have been civil rights and the history of movements and Uh, Gandhi, anyway, is where I was going uh, in his peaceful protests. Um, And it was interesting that the world so esteems uh, people like Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the way they'll go and be with the lowly and the needy and the outcast and the persecuted and the leprous and all these things. Um, And yet, really, if we understand the gospel, we should be on the front lines of that kind of understanding of of need and how the gospel meets it. Not that you have to give your life to serve leprous colonies, but in daily awareness, just being someone who recognizes, I have no position. It's John 13 again. Jesus, knowing he 
was God and came from God, rose from supper and prepared himself to wash feet. It's just recognizing we don't have position or prestige. We have the gospel, and it's for people in need. So don't be afraid to associate with the lowly, uh, even at the risk of perhaps even the, the religious crowd thinking, why are they doing that? Uh, Jonathan? One more example, I was thinking of this Esther, I'm associating with the Jews, and on behalf of them, speaking to the king, she could have said, no, this my position is clean, and I can, I'm safe where I am. Yeah, so you read the story of Esther, and ultimately she has to choose to identify with really the ones that are in big trouble uh, in that story, um, but that's okay. Um, again, that, that spirit of recognizing I'm nobody, but a tool in the hands of God in this situation, what do I do next? Uh, that's good. Anything else? All right, let's look at another. Uh, pressing on in Romans, Romans chapter 13. Verse 7 and following. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. I think Clark's handing out your giving statements if you... uh, even do itemize anymore. Um, We understand our taxes, right? So pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When we put this with Matthew 22, where Jesus unfolds the greatest commandments, um, when we tie it all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, we get this understanding of, okay, this, this idea of all the law being summed up in this idea of love um, is explained there for us in verse 10, because love would do no wrong to a neighbor. If we truly heard and obeyed the command to love our neighbor, we would not need the commands, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't steal, because clearly those are all violations of loving our neighbor. The love should cover it, but we're helped by seeing the expressions of love. We're helped when we see the demonstration of God's love. We're helped when we hear, here's what a violation of love would look like. But the weight of the passage is there in verse 8, owe no one anything except owe love to each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So what are some examples that come to mind of owing love to someone? Because that's the language that's used here. Don't owe anything. Don't withhold respect to somebody if it's due. Don't withhold honor. Don't withhold the payment. 
If, if someone was kind enough to lend you some money to buy your house, well then, pay what you owe. You owe it to them, you should pay it. Pay your taxes, you owe that. Um, so don't owe anyone anything, and by that he's saying don't withhold what you owe. Give it to them. But one thing you should always owe is love. So owe no one anything except owe everyone love. You never pay this one off. Because it's not really a debt, so to speak, though we might use that language. It's what should be coming out of you because you know the love of God. So owe no one anything. Always give what is due because you don't want to be someone withholding. But if you want to talk owing, then let's only apply that to love. Owe no one anything except to love each other. It's right for us to then think, I, I owe this person love. The explanation comes in answering why. Why do I owe this person love? And the answer is because you've been loved by God. It's not because they deserve it. If we go down that path, it's going to break down. <laughs> you won't love your spouse well because they don't always deserve honor and good treatment because they were a mess or you were and you don't deserve anything more. The reality is we are loved by God, not because we deserve it. Read Deuteronomy 7 where God lays this out to Israel. I didn't choose you because you were better than the other nations. Actually, you were the least of all the nations. You're loved because I chose to love you. I set my love on you. Uh, and this is the choice we make. We choose to love others, not because they're lovely and easy to love, but because it's the right thing to do. We've tasted love. We're going to give love. So what are some love examples that come to us uh, in the Bible? Can you think of any? We already talked to Good Samaritan. That story, we can get some mileage out of that one because here, you know, we, we scoff at the priest who walked on the other side and didn't help the man, and yet we could rationalize that they don't, they don't owe him anything. Like, they had something to do. Like, maybe they didn't have, they didn't think they had the resources, or I don't know how to help, or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons people spectate when they could probably jump in and help. Um, they're part of the story, and yet we want to look at the Good Samaritan who didn't stop to think whether he was the best one for the job. He just recognized, I owe someone love, and so I'll pay it. And he did what he could. Holly? Psalm 15, 13, greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So greater love uh, has no one than this, but to, to sacrifice, to lay down your life for your friend. Uh, and Jesus is going to demonstrate that for us clearly. Jonathan? I was thinking of the owing respect and paying that respect. Uh, David and Saul, when David finds Saul in the cave and he could have killed his enemy right there, but out of respect for the Lord's anointed, he doesn't. Right, and even cuts off part of the, the, the king's robe there, and, and after the king, king Saul leaves, it's almost like David realizes, you know, I do owe, 
some respect. I, I crossed a line here. And so he recognizes he shouldn't have done that, and he announces to the king, you know, yes, I could have harmed you, but I don't want to, and I shouldn't have, you know, been disrespectful. Um, so there's an example of, of owing something and paying that debt. What else? The Apostle Paul has loved for his people, and every time he goes to a town, he goes to the synagogue first and tries to give them good news, and he does it over and over and over again, even though he is consistently rejected by them. And then he goes and gives the good news to the Gentiles. But he still says throughout his letters, I hope to inspire jealousy in them. I hope to woo them. I hope to... Um, he even says that, you know, that he would give everything if only his people would come back to God. So he still has that, that love, even though it's only one way. Yeah, you read the, the Apostle Paul, and he's obviously feeling a, what we would call a debt to the Jewish people. Uh, using that language, I even wish they were accursed for them to believe. Probably, I'm trying to think of a debtor passage and if Paul, how Paul uses that, but clearly we see from his ministry that he recognized he was going to go to the Jews um, because he felt this debt of communicating the gospel to them. Of course, Peter would champion the cause to the Gentiles, not that the, either one of them were exclusive, um, but to study Paul's ministry would be a good example of understanding the debt of love. Uh, Paul, in probably, is it 2 Corinthians, um, speaks of being compelled by our love for the lost. So, yeah, understand Romans 12, or Romans 13, owe no one anything, so be a good citizen, uh, a good, you know, neighbor, um, good family member, you know, give the respect, give the payments, give, give, give what is owed, um, because you don't want to be the person withholding and owing things, but you do want to be the person owing love, um, and not because people are lovely, uh, but because you have been loved. All right, one more, Romans fourteen, nineteen. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, we've come across another passage here that's dealing with uh, Christian liberty, with wisdom, discernment. And so in verse 13, we looked at that one, do not, or therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He talks about what is unclean and clean. And so in that context now of eating and drinking, he says, verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. There, there's the way we measure people, not, not by uh, the Christian liberties. So whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Mutual upbuilding is a little tedious uh, in our reading. We wouldn't kind of lay it out that way. Edifying is a word that's often in your translation. 
um, building up each other or one another would be the simplest expression there. Uh, let us pursue what makes for peace and carry the verb over. Let us pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding or building up each other. What's interesting is that this word pursue, if we were just thinking go after or follow, there would be another Greek word that is, could be translated pursue in your Bible. Uh, this one is a much stronger word, which more often than not is translated in your Bible as the word persecute. Uh, so persecute at its core doesn't, doesn't mean to hit them with sticks or throw stones at them. It just means to, you're hunting them down. You're going after them, which obviously looked like all the persecutions we think of. So that word with that intensity, stronger than just going after, following, looking around a little bit, but this word for hunting down or persecuting is used to tell us to hunt down or to go after intently things that make for peace and things that build others up. So it's not just an instruction of, hey, try to make peace with people and and try to build others up. It's this command that says this, this should be an intensity in the way that you think that I am going to make sure I try to find common ground and and help us understand some kind of unity. I'm going to make sure that I get to my goal, which is to make that person feel a little bit more encouraged, built up, helped down the path. And and the intensity of it is is what should grip us here. We hunt for peace. Um, Where do we find common ground? Clearly, we disagree on some point, some application, some, some way to do something in the church. But, but where's the common ground? Let, let's fight for the peace and then figure out how in our differences maybe we can address the, the issue that was brought up. But are we, are we hunting down peace? Or are we quickly divvied up into tribes and ideologies that have us separated, even in the church, uh, because we just have no room in our minds to tolerate any other difference when the Bible is saying, no, hunt for peace, for harmony, and then hunt for building up others. How do I help this person grow? How can I encourage their growth? Am I even concerned about their spiritual well-being? Paul wrote in Philippians 2, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Paul said, I want to send Timothy to you because I know his his pursuit will be to make sure you are built up. He will seek your best interest. And Paul says, I'm looking around and I don't have anybody else I could, I could lean on here. There's no one else I can send because I know they're all consumed with themselves. But Timothy will be consumed with what's best for you. So hunt for ways to make others spiritually successful. How, how can this mindset like change the way we think this week? 
that I need to be intensely pursuing finding common ground with people. I need to be intently pursuing ways to make other people successful, to build them up, to make sure they're encouraged, to make sure they have truth to stand on. This is what Paul's telling us to do. Some of you are hunters and maybe not stereotypical fanatics, but the, you know, hunting can generally take some time and some money. You know, you, you got to gear up with all the right stuff and you want to be warm and you, some of the seasons you want to be noticed uh, and not blending in. Other ones you want to be blending in. You need your guns, you need space, you need time to, you know, get away. Uh, and, and that's all good. But let it all serve as an example of that kind of pursuit of something that's enjoyed or in a lot of times gone by at least necessary um, that that was an important thing and it took a lot of attention and resource but how much attention and time and energy do we give to making sure others are getting through this coming week you know we could share some prayer requests and know some burdens but are we hunting down now ways to make sure other people are being built up, that they're edified? This, uh, what's the language there? Mutual upbuilding. And the mutual is there. There, there is to the other in the, in the text. But we can trust God with somebody building up us. Let, let's be focused this morning on thinking, how do I hunt for harmony, togetherness, and how do I hunt for another way to build someone up? All right, any, any Bible examples of building up others or hunting for peace? David? It reminds me of the King James uh, rendition of Hebrews 10.24, provoke one another to love and good works. Yeah, this, this prodding, this... You know, you, the, the illustration has always been maybe just the long little pointy stick that a, a shepherd might have. Oh, he could kind of swat and guide generally. And once in a while, it might need a little bit more of a poke. You know, now we have like the little tasers, you know, to shock those big steer to get them moving. And um, there are times when provocation is a good thing. There are times where you could provoke someone and you would be sinful in doing so. Uh, you don't need to stir up strife, wisdom of the Proverbs. But clearly in Hebrews 10, it is biblical and right for us to provoke one another to love each other more and to do the good works. Um, and so there's an example of, of, of helping someone else get it right. Roy? This isn't where we would normally think of it, but Paul rebuking the first pope, I, I mean Peter, and indirectly Barnabas, was it in Galatia where they were separating when the Jews came and not eating with the Gentiles anymore? He pointed it out with the, with the point of turning them back to loving the Gentiles and not ostracizing them. Right, pushing them to understand the gospel, um, calling them out on their willingness to side with the Judaizers and get up and move their tray from Gentile table to the clean table. And, and Paul said, no, 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 no. Um, if you're preaching the gospel, you can't live this way. 
And so as awkward as we think those kind of confrontations and provocations are, they're good and necessary if we have an intensity, a zeal about us, a fervency that says, I want others to, to be on this pilgrim path uh, with me. I, I want to help them get it right. Uh, I want them to be successful in their, in their discipleship today, in their following of Jesus, so I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, because ultimately, that's Philippians 2 again. Jesus comes to help us be made righteous. Um, and he'll do whatever it takes. Humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that is all to accomplish for us uh, our success in the Christian life, truly defined as our righteousness, our holiness. Um, So be consumed this week. Hunt down harmony. Hunt down helping others. Uh, That's the weight of the instruction And remember that example that Paul gave. I'm sending Timothy because he'll be concerned with your interests. I can't send anyone else because they're consumed with their own interests. That's a sad indictment on, you know, the need for growth and discipleship, of course, the ones Paul's working with. But I think we can rightly think, okay, in our body, we hear of the needs and we have the gifts. Who Who would be tapped? as someone that would care for someone else's interests and who are in the crowd that would say, I got too much of my own stuff going on to worry about anyone else. We can almost make that sound virtuous sometimes, uh, but it's not. So be mindful of hunting this week uh, in the one another's. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word can remind us at times and rebuke us uh, at times for uh, the way that we haven't measured up to the instructions that you've given us on how to relate to each other. May we be filled with your spirit this week in such a way that we overflow with these responses to each other, that we're sensitive to promptings to, to make a call or send a note or to ask a question or to share a verse Uh, things that we might feel could fall flat or uh, not be effective, um, but help us to put away all those doubts and fears and simply be obedient uh, to the way that you guide us day by day and hour by hour uh, to live obediently to these one another commands. Please help us uh, to get it right. That's our heart's desire Uh, But we need your grace, um, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.